Welcome to the Live and Dare podcast, your show with interviews and insights on meditation, personal growth, and spirituality. I'm your host, Giovanni Dinsman, and this is episode number 16, and I'm interviewing the mantra musician, Miten. Together with his partner, Deva Premal, Miten's albums have sold over 1.5 million copies, have been included in movie soundtracks, and got endorsed by celebrities such as Tony Robbins and the Dalai Lama. Of all the many types of meditation, mantra is my own personal favorite, and I've been a fan of Miten's music for several years. My wife and I actually attended his concert here in Sydney in February 2017. So, Miten, I never thought I would be having you as a guest on this podcast, and I was excited when your press agent contacted me. It's such a pleasure to have you here. Welcome thank to the show. You, thank you, it's nice to see you. It's a bit early in the morning for me. I've been from my early morning walk. I'm in Germany right now, David's uh, parents' apartment. And uh, so, yeah, I'm happy to, to hang out and have a chat and have a cup of tea with you. <laughs> Lovely. So for those who um, don't know your story, you used to be known as Andy Desmond, and you had a career as an up-and-coming young rock musician in England in the 70s. But today you are called Miten, and you're known as the creator of beautiful, spiritually-themed songs, offering concerts that are filled with a unique mix of mantras, songs, and celebration. And you do that around the world with your musical and life partner, Deva Primo. Perhaps it would be a good place to start if you can tell us how this transformation came about. Oh, well, you know, I think it, my, my personal transformation came uh, when I realized um, I kind of burnt all my bridges. I didn't have anywhere else to go. My, my rock, uh, the idea of being a rock musician in England and everything that went with that, uh, suddenly began to <sighs> pretty pointless, man. It's just in the end <laughs> because there was nothing for me, you know, and I didn't really know what to do. So I carried on going, and uh, my creativity level was going down, and uh, my relationship with my wife was failing, and uh, and the drugs were getting too good, and. Uh, it just, it was just not a very healthy place to find myself. And, uh, you know, I'm sure there's such a thing as destiny. You know, I never really used to think like that when I was your age, but now at my age, when I look back, I wonder who made those decisions, you know? It didn't, it doesn't feel like me. It just feels like a wave that I just got kind of blown away on, you know? Somebody, gave me a book by Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh, and it was a book on, uh, he'd been talking on Zen parables. And uh, there was one particular parable there that really got me. And it was, uh, it was a parable about a Zen nun called Chiono. And she became enlightened carrying water from the well at nighttime, and she was looking at the full moon in the bucket in reflection in the water and at that moment the bucket broke 
and she became enlightened realizing that she'd spent her whole life looking at the reflection and not the real thing and uh, it was kind of like me i realized all my music was it was my therapy but i never turned around to realize that meditation actually is the real thing and that was very striking for me so i was in such a place that i thought okay if this community exists and i eventually i i uh, found it and he gave me the name uh, prabhu meeting that was without knowing that i didn't have a friend in the world prabhu meeting means friend of god <laughs> and, and I knew, like, okay i'm in the right place you know and I never, I, I don't feel as if I ever left the master's uh, feet, you know. He just turned my life around, helped me to meditate, helped me to learn, taught me how to meditate, taught me how to deal with the guilt and the sadness and the despair and the longing. All those things were uh, addressed in my time with, with Osho. And the, the master's body is not that important, you know. It's an energetic phenomenon. But uh, I was with him right up to the, the night he died, where I was due to play for him in, uh, in the meditation that evening. We had, used to have about 2,000 people every night. for the. We used to call it the white robe, because he asked us all to wear white for the evening meditations. We were all in the meditation waiting for him, and uh, I was about to play. The doctor came and, uh, to the microphone, and informed us that Osho had left his body that afternoon and uh, it was a turn, another turning point in my life because it was just an incredible moment of power when a guru leaves his body, you know, that all that energy is released. It's, it was so, I just felt the whole thing, you know, it was, it was a big moment for me. And, and then the next thing I remember was uh, then carrying Osho's body out through the meditation room with us playing the Sufi chant, Ilahi Ilahi, loved the Sufis, Osho. We took his body down, thousands of us all <laughs> out in the street with the body and down singing and chanting to the burning ghats, which weren't that far away from the ashram. And the thing is with the Guru, with, the, with that whole phenomenon, it's so difficult to explain that it's... All that love that we felt, even though he would tell us, look, the chair's empty. You, you know, don't focus on me as a personality. It's not that. Even though he's difficult because you just love somebody who saved your ass, you know. But, you know, what happened was that all that love that was inside of me and all that gratitude that was projected on, on that human being suddenly had nowhere to go but in. It was it was the greatest gift he ever gave us. Well, he's never left, you know. I don't feel like there's any birth or death in that experience. He just happened to be in that body, and he he was articulate. He was a university professor when he was a young man, and uh, so he had a he was very charismatic, you know. So he had a way of sharing and helping people, and he was too you know he was fearless so he didn't really care what the, the world thought of him because he saw the world was fucked up anyway so he was like how can i help people and so that's that was his thing and uh, he attracted a bunch of wild misfits uh, like myself 
So I, I can imagine that at a certain point in that journey, music for you started becoming a way of meditation. Yeah, but music didn't come. Um, when, I, when I came to Osho, I sold everything that I had left, all my guitars, sold them because I needed money. I never told anyone I'd been a musician or I was a songwriter or anything like that. I didn't, I didn't want to carry that cross. I was busy in the, in the community, you know, I was in the kitchen mainly just chopping carrots and washing the rice, you know, <laughs> and uh, that was good enough for me and uh, I just wanted to heal. And it was such a great community. There was a lot of uh, amazing people, you know, and we were all in a very kind of raw space back then because we were learning and we were very open to to uh, learning, you know, how, what is this mind? How do we, what is it that we get so locked up in it all the time? And how do we move and navigate that necessary part of our physiology, if it is uh, physical, but, you know, that's another story. But basically, the music came back much later, and the music came back when I felt I was healed. Because Osho's, community was full of music and it was like it was he meditation was mu music and great music and the evening celebrations you get thousands of people all singing so much magnificence <laughs> the ocean you know hallelujah and everything and it, it was incredible the music and so I didn't feel worthy you know I felt like no no I have to I have to I can't just come into this, you know, and pretend to know how to do it. I, I soaked it all up for a year or two before I picked a guitar up again. And then it was totally unselfconscious. I didn't care. Uh, before, it was like, oh, you can't write that. It's too naive or it's too simple or, you know, it's not as good as Neil Young or whoever else I stood next to thinking, you know, the mountains of talent and uh, experience that all those guys had. So I could just write the simplest of songs and, uh, and it, write is not the right word. I never, I never took pen to paper. It was just uh, a, a spontaneous thing that stuck. And I would sing it to friends and the next thing they were asking me to sing it to the community and then uh, I just carried on with it. And, it was very organic, and, and uh, when we, and Dave and me, when we started to play together, when we came left India, I just promised myself that I didn't even need to say it verbally, but I knew that Dave and I would never perform inverted commas. It wasn't our thing. You can't perform spiritual songs. You can't perform mantras. You know, if there's ego in there, it's it's ridiculous. You're trying to sing. The Gayatri Mantra with an ego, it's just, it's, like, it's just not possible. And I learned that through being with the master because when the master comes onto the podium and you're playing a song, there's no way you can be hoping that people listen to you or to, you know, hey, how good am I playing this piece, you know? It's, it's just a total egoless situation and uh, you're there to... As secondary to actually support the vibration that's uh, that that's tangible, and that's what we do in our concerts. It's about supporting people who come in a vulnerable place. Although, of course, it's a concert, so there's much fun and there's much laughter and there's much uh, participation. 
but we all come somewhere wanting to be caressed in that part of our lives that we keep down so that we can survive in our day-to-day world. That part that we don't show to the world, we can show in our concert. So there's tears are good. Tears are cleansing, you know. If you break down the word cleansing, you find it's clean, sing, you know. <laughs> and so, so <laughs> if you, uh, you know, I, I learned that with actually with some ayahuasca exploration that I was doing. I realized whenever there was any fear, if I sang, the fear would go. And I realized that's really a key. Sing, sing. If you sing, you can move, you can raise your spirits. It's very easy. So it seems that you, in the presence of a master, when you were asked to, to sing, you naturally developed that sense that it's, it's not about me, it's not about my performance, it's just about the community and, and, and serving people. And, and obviously I've been to your concert and I felt that as well. Now, is that something that comes, comes organically for you or what is the, how do you put yourself in that state before a concert? I've never out of it. If you're never out of it, then there's there's no nervousness and there's no trepidation or there's no sense of performance. I tell the musician every night before we go onto the stage, remember we're playing temple music. It looks like a concert. You're you're all accomplished musicians, you know, and they all get it. It's about what we do is we create a landscape in which people can feel safe and they can feel that they can sing and open their voices. You don't need to be Pavarotti to sing mantras, you know. You, you, you know, there's a couple of, mainly if you chant, which is different to singing them, if you chant, you've got two notes, you know. And the, and the, the point of mantras is how desperate do you, must you be to explore their healing qualities they're powerful things they're not just they're not just you know i love you baby they're let's call them refined sound bites they're scientifically discovered they're 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 something that the 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 people of india thousands of years ago the wise men the rishis of india were experimenting with finding out how sound affects the body, our body-mind organism. What, what happens if this sound is repeated? And what happens if this sound is repeated? And what's that, what happens if we put them two together or these cluster of sounds, how to refine that, refine to the point that 108 cycles is going to do the trick. So you have the possibility to move into that world of healing sound. That's what the mantras are and, and they're, so what I like to do is I like to encourage people to actually commit themselves to, to a mantra practice because that's the only way you're gonna see if, if anything's there. You can sing with Singing is great and it's very important, but that's almost like a, a doorway into a deeper meditation. Absolutely. Um, one of the things that I share when I teach mantra meditation is that um, everything in the universe is vibration and music sound is vibration. The mantra is vibration. 
So by repeating a certain vibration, a certain sound inside your mind again and again and again, you have the chance to, to change your vibration, your body, your emotions, the sound your thoughts. you're chanting is, is actually not a descriptive sound. It's the basic sound. If you're, if you're chanting Shanti, Shanti, Om Shanti, Shanti, you're actually creating a sense of peace within yourself and around you. That's the point. It's like the sounds are refined. You're, they'll take care of you. There's, there are mantras for lovemaking. There's mantras for uh, removing obstacles in your energetic path. You know, there's, there's mantras for inner peace. There's mantras for children, blessing the children. There's all kinds, you know. You know, that's, that's our mission, really, me and Dave, as far as the mantras go, is, that, is to, let's, you know, we put some albums out, which is just David chanting seven mantras 108 times. And then there's another one with a 21-day mantra meditation. I think it's like five CDs and a package, you know, where you can move into all the mantras. And, you know, that's, we've found that to be something real for us, you know. And we were both, you know, Deva was not singing when we met. She wasn't like she was a singer or anything like that. She was actually... She was 20 years old. She was a young, she'd been in the ashram since she was 17. I was 43. And learn how to breathe and learn how to respect each other's energies. And so it was an incredible time. And she was actually uh, studying bodywork, massage, reflexology, shiatsu, cranial sacral. She, she, that was her way of expressing her meditation and her healing. It was through her hands. Until she met me, and then I kidnapped her, <laughs> and then she uh, she began to sing, and uh, then I could help her with her singing and bring her into the music. Because by then, by the time Dave and I met, I was uh, the music ashram coordinator. You know, I'd kind of I accepted my whole thing again, and I was I could do all that because I had the apprenticeship of playing at Wembley and supporting Fleetwood Mac, you know, things like that. You know, I had some kind of solid foundation that I could bring to that, but I needed time to, to, to heal and to be able to express, come to it in a different way, in a fresh way, in a clean way. That's, that's quite interesting. So you kind of brought the music out of her, into the world. Yeah, in a way. Well, she, her, mother's, uh, her, her mother was... Um, a classical musician, and uh, uh, her father was an artist, and um, so David grew up with uh, you know piano lessons and uh, voice singing and violin, you know things like this. But she never thought she would use it. It wasn't until we met when uh, I realized that uh, she had a natural. She had a very good pitch, David, because of the violin playing, I think. She, you know, usually when people uh, are not used to singing, their pitch is, is not solid, you know. But David was uh, very good from the, from the get-go. And when I started to bring her into the meditations, she, I could see that she understood the power of silence, the music is not the notes, it's the sound between the notes, it's the space between the notes. That's where the 
think is and uh, you know and you don't learn that so much in academies you know you just learn all the notes what we learn is is the silence so uh, we're not scared of silence we like silence we invite people in the concerts hey what happens if you don't clap you don't have to clap us we're we're just part we're just forming a circle with everybody and uh, no one to clap if you want to clap go ahead but uh, it's it's our suggestion that you see what happens if you let that mantra disappear or the song disappear into a silent space you know and just enjoy it. and then suddenly you're beginning to feel the whole vibration ascend as the depth of silence grows you know that's why we can do it we've been playing 30 years now I'm in my 70s, you know, people say, oh, when are you going to stop? And I, I, there's, nothing, there's nothing to stop for, you know, like I can do this because it's nourishing me. It's not a performance where I have a show. It's actually where I get my nourishment, so I can't wait for the next concert. I'm just going to sit down and take a deep breath, you know, if I'm just off the plane or whatever and just be with my family. That's how I feel it, whether it's in Moscow or Stockholm or Miami or Sydney. It's the same family. There's a big family of meditators now, Giovanni, all over the world. And you, you and your wife and your little girl, you all belong to this family, you know, and it's incredible. I'm very grateful that we're connected in this way all over. Yeah, absolutely. And that sounds very different from the experience of many musicians where they feel exhausted yeah. after yeah. a concert, yeah. right? Mm. I don't do that anymore. That was one of the things that was quite unique when I attended your concert, that at the end when everyone kind of expects to clap, we are invited to be just silent. It's a very different taste. For everyone listening to this podcast, if you can go to a concert of uh, Deva Pramao and Mitan, please attend because in itself, it's a meditation. And so what is your experience sharing that, that silence at the end of the concert um, with people around the world? It's one thing that's very clear that wherever you are, the silence is the same. You know, whatever culture you might find yourself in, when you sit together with a theater full of people just sitting in silence and we've been singing together so we're actually a congregation it's more like church than a concert you know really but not uh, not in the serious and, and, and i don't mean church in the way that we know it but there is something uh, sacred also another thing that i always like to feel is that and i like to tell it too to the audiences and the people is that we're creating a temple for the night. This is our temple, you know. And, uh, we bring to it whatever we bring to it is what we will receive. So the deeper the participation, the deeper the intention, the more ecstatic and the more nourished and healed we will feel when we leave. It's a beautiful thing to do. It's just... A, it's just amazing. And, you know, we, apart from the concerts, the workshops are another thing, and in a way, another level. So we have a week 
Now in, in Corfu we have, uh, in Greece, we have the Gayatri Festival for one week. 600 people and, uh, you know, all come for the week and we're all together. And we all come together and we're just uh, to sing and to meditate and support each other, you know, and, uh, and, to, and feel that sense of community. And it, that, that's one of the biggest, you know, things with life is the isolation. You know, we easily get isolated. I know for myself, it's something to, uh, to feel, oh, I'm just part of this. So I can just disappear into this energy with people that are just like me and of course we all got our own opinions and everything but beneath that we meet in a place of recognition and respect yeah yeah so what happens during the retreats what's what type of activities what's the general flow of it we we sit ourselves in the center of the of the of the we have a in, in Corfu, I'm thinking in my mind's eye, Corfu in Greece, we have a, a a big meditation area outdoors there under the olive trees and the olive groves. It's stupendous, it's fantastic. We have a, we have the band, I usually bring the whole band and we sit in the circle in the middle, and then we just we just kind of let it roll, you know, we, we, we'll, we'll start people, we all know people come for the same thing, we're close together, so vibrations are strong, it's not the thing of sitting on a stage and looking out, and you're, 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 you are physically in the congregation, you know, and, and that's, what, that's why I like to look at, on our consciousness, that we are creating a circle when we come on stage, you know, we're completing a circle. And, uh, and that's how it feels with the workshops, you know, it, it's more intimate, we can, we, we can explore things, we can play the mantra as long as ever we want and let it, uh, you know, like, like, like now with the conscious, we have a band, like I say, you know, so, whereas when it was me and Deborah in the nose, we could improvise completely, you know. We know each other's heartbeat, you know. But when you get musicians who are, it's a different way of approaching the whole thing, music. You know? And with mantras, it's like, no, you have to let this thing breathe. You, you, it's not, not about, uh, you know, creating a time that's perfect. It's, it's about responding to a different energy. So those things are very clear when we when we're in the workshops we can we can do whatever we want in a way and a big part of the work of, of the workshops we call them workshops it's more like a, a gathering now because people make friends with each other in Corfu we have that we have people from like I don't know 30 35 different countries all over and it's just great and they're beautiful people we all come for the same thing we're not we're not there to judge anything we're not there to say what's all this about we're there to share we're ready to participate you know uh, that takes all all the edge of everything we're just a family yeah it seems that just like a yoga yoga asanas were the way for for yoga to be popularized in the West. And um, meditation, in a way, is the doorway for many people to get a taste of spirituality. It seems like 
music is the way that many people are going to get in touch with mantras, get introduced to it and get a taste for it. It's a a shortcut. It's fast track. You're using your voice, you know. And uh, the other thing about it is if you're in a congregation, you find without realizing that you're breathing, all breathing in the same rhythm because just naturally you, you do breathe in a certain way when you're chanting. You're in a synchronistic connection with uh, people you've never met before. You know, so that all these things add up. I, mean, I grew up in, in pubs in England. What, what I had growing up, I'm talking about you know, the 50s, early 50s, as a little kid running about in the pubs, was my mother playing piano and, uh, and singing. So I sort of grew up. My father would sing, you know, and uh, my father wouldn't sing out, but he would sing to me when we went for walks. He would just sing. He'd like to sing. And I, those songs are still with me, you know. And uh, yes, we have no bananas, <laughs> those kind of songs. <laughs> and he was Irish, my dad. So, so singing has been around me ever since. And, and like with Deva, saying. Like David's family, they would, her father would, for lunchtime, they would sit at the table and they would chant the temples of Zen. This is a very famous parable. And they would uh, recite it every dinner, every lunchtime, you know. So you grew up with all this. Uh, and, and then, so it wasn't unnatural for her to be at 17. She was like, can I, I, want to, I just want to go and be in the ashram, you know. And her mother said, sure, go, you know. It all makes sense when I look back on it. And I'm, you know, and, and since I think since I saw, oh no, if I had an open heart surgery also uh, about maybe 18 months ago. I can't remember exactly, not so long ago. But it was, uh, it was uh, one of those, another turning point in my life because uh, it, it created this sense of having a rebirth in, in, in my. In, in me, it feels now that I, I feel strangely inhabiting this older body that's actually decaying. And I feel like a young spirit that's full of creativity. And, you know, and um, I chose to have the operation. And, and so, yeah, I've, I'm, I've got a lot of energy. And, and at the same time, I'm watching my hearing's going, my eyes are not so good, and I had a sleep, you know, I have to walk and make sure I can move the body and stretch it and all this stuff. And uh, so it's watching the body, you know, the organic part of this thing, you know, deteriorate at the same time being in an energetic place where I, I can feel like this energy has nothing to do with birth and death. I've always been curious to to know how do the songs and the melody come about? Do you start with a mantra that you're working with or that you're attracted, feel attracted to and you develop from there or what comes first? Well, with the mantras, it's Deva, you know, Deva, Deva would, there'd be mantras that she resonates with and, uh, and, uh, and then you, you approach the mantras with great respect as a musician, you know, because you're, you're really uh, 
you know, you're in very sensitive territory and, uh, uh, and I'm a Western musician and a Western guy who has no real understanding of any other kind of music apart from, you know, uh, I mean, the only thing I knew about mantras really growing up was what the Beatles sang. You know, if the beat of George Harrison was singing, you know, Hare Krishna or, or, or you know, whatever, then uh, that's as far as I knew. I liked, I liked the sounds, but I didn't really, I didn't have any respect for I didn't know what they were, you know, and it wasn't until I came to Osho and meditation and started to realize the power of them that, uh, you know, I mean, the Gayatri Mantra is a typical example. You know, Deva, Deva came to me, we were at a spiritual music festival in England. This was way back in mid-1990, I guess. And uh, she, she'd heard some musicians chanting the Gayatri Mantra and she recognized the words. She didn't know what it was called. She never was told, you, I am giving you the Gayatri Mantra. It was just like this, you know. And so she, she came to me and said, wow, I've just heard, I've just heard uh, my mantra and it's called the Gayatri Mantra. And I mean, we didn't know it was the most powerful prayer ever Ever, you know, it was the oldest prayer known to mankind. It's been it's with mankind, humanity, not mankind, humankind. Politically correct now to be careful. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, um, when she when I heard it, she recited it. We started to, you know, realize. Oh, I knew that. For instance, as a musician, I knew that Davis key. I know where she's comfortable in her voice, where it resonates in her chest, where it resonates in her belly. So I knew what key to give her. And uh, and then we, we kind of explored it until we made the you know melody and the chord sequence for the Gaia Mantra. See, it's very simple melody. And uh, so, so that's it, it's interesting as a musician that piece because it's chopped up into different timings, and uh, it's 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 a great it's just beautiful, you know. And uh, so, so. I'm limited in, in that, but Manoz is another story. Manoz is now, Manoz is in his 40s. And when I met Manoz, he was 23. He, he, he'd grown up in Kathmandu, you know, right opposite Bodhanath, you know, where the, where the, the Buddhist, uh, uh, the shrine and everything there. And uh, so, so, you know, but he was like, wow, what do you Western guys? Chanting mantra, these mantras, you know, and so he started to compose, and uh, he he's just he's just great. He's actually interested because he composes more Western style than the rest of us, you know, because he kind of, you know, and he then he, uh, but he's just great. So yeah, he you know he would come to me with half finished pieces, 
uh, and uh, it would give me the possibility to put them into a structure, maybe make two, one or two changes and create something that David felt, yeah, this is good, I can, you know, and then we would get into it on that level. As for the songs, the songs are different. The songs, in a way, I see the songs as like almost, you know, an attempt to, to express something of the benefit of the mantras through English lyrics and, and my style of music, which is what I grew up with, which is basically American rock music, you know, and, uh, and, and country and blues and, and everything that I grew up with as a teenager. And, and then coming to India and kind of opening my mind to different scales and different way of, of, of uh, playing music. So the songs, now are uh, very uh, much invited. I don't chase songs anymore. I used to, you know, because it was my living once, you know. So those days are gone. I don't need to chase songs. I don't need to write a song to justify my existence anymore. <laughs> it's just, so now they just come and I play and uh, I don't write them down and I say, if you want to, if you want to be here, I'm very much open and the invitation is there and I, I stay connected to the song so it knows, because it's a living entity, so I stay connected to it and slowly we become friends and uh, the bridge appears and the mid late appears and the chorus appears and things come and, uh, and we sit together day after day and, and uh, that's the kind of way the songs come out organic and without any pressure. I don't need to write, I mean, this last album I just made, Devotee, it's called, and, uh, you know, I feel like, okay, this is, this is probably my last album. And uh, so I want to make an album that I can put on when I'm dying, you know, and feel like, yeah. So then I said to the musicians, okay, look, this album, we're making this album for each of us to be able to put on when we're dying. So make sure whatever you play, you could die too. <laughs> and, uh, so we had this feeling that we had a framework, you know, and it was a very sensitive way of approaching music. Even though we were playing reggae, we were playing uh, different kind of music, we were all there, oh yeah, this is a good feeling, you know, that's a good feeling. And, and so the whole album is an invitation to, to uh, let go into the moment whatever you're doing, dying or being born or making love or whatever you're doing. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and people should check it out. Devotee, that's yeah, the name, right? Devotee. It's a beautiful one. It's, it's definitely, I'm happy with it. I'm happy feeling like, okay, if this is my last, then it's a good trajectory, you know, from uh, when I first picked up that guitar in Osho's community again. To, uh, to this album. It's, that's a nice, a really nice uh, testament, I think, on hope. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm sure um, millions of people have come to the path of mantra and have appreciation for mantra because of your work. So that's, that's wonderful. Now, what would you say is the difference between the, the way you chant mantras and kirtan 
the practice uh, of kirtan. Yeah, well, kirtan, man, that's, uh, oh, I mean, that's all energy. It's all, it's exactly what we were talking about. Don't deviate. That's the sound of the mantra. That's the sound. Don't make it jazz. You just get into it on a basic level. And, uh, you know, and the most basic instruments, and you just pile in and chant and chant and chant and chant and chant and chant and chant. And uh, like you were saying, with, with, uh, with us, Dave and me, we like melody, you know, we like harmony, we like that kind of stuff. So, you know, it's different. It's, it's it, instead of being a leader that, uh, be, that is responded to, we like to be disappearing to everybody. So we like to create a place where we can all sing together. It's a different, a different feeling or we can chant together, but it's, it's not, uh, it's not that, uh, you know, full on care. To, it's, it's difficult anywhere. Uh, we once, Krishna Das, me and Deva and Manos, we did a, a, a tour together once through America, it was fantastic. Krishna Das had his band, we had ours, and uh, we, did, we did all these, uh, we did all through, I think we did the West Coast and the East Coast, it was a long tour, it was great. But what was evident is that the, the Kirtan, even with Krishna Das, it's, it, it didn't belong in those theaters. It doesn't belong. You know, and so you you'd you'd get KD in the band, but you couldn't hear you couldn't hear the participation in the same way. You know, when you're in a your temple, then Kirtan pumps, you know, and it's great in it. But in the theatres, it was it was difficult. We fit more in the theatres because we were more we were more interested in making sure that the lights were right and that the sound was good. We, that was our thing. We like, we like that kind of uh, expression of it. And, uh, and it wasn't, again, it wasn't that we set out to, to do that. It, I mean, in a way, Osho, see, Osho was very, he, 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 was, he, he, he was very uninterested in, in traditional uh, concepts. He, he really, he was playing with trying to get us out of the habit of thinking that, uh, you know, um, it's in the scriptures, so you have to study the scriptures. He was like, for, you know, an example would be, the attitude would be, you don't have to play uh, harmonium and tabla in, you know, if you play your music, you, you like reggae, bring reggae into Buddha Hall. Oh, you guys like jazz. Okay, let's see. Jazz is very much rooted in sexuality. So let's see what we can do to, to, to how do you, you know, the, the, you know, he didn't say these words, but well, actually he did speak on jazz once, but, but mainly it was like, do it your way. And he, that was, that was his whole approach. Like he, he, he would speak on, you know, he would do a, a series 
a series of discourses on everything, ranging from you know talking about Jesus, talking about Zen masters, talking about tantric masters, um, Zen masters, um, Zarathustra. You know, like so many, uh, so many in Buddha, of course. And so we got, and Sufi, Sufis were big. So for us, we loved, uh, we loved this feeling of this Sufi way of, of expressing your spirituality. Sufis have no, uh, you know, there, there's no, uh, um, what's the word? You know, there's no dogma in the spiritual, in Sufis. Sufis is, Sufis, the Sufi thing is uh, poetry, dance, and music, and singing. That's, that's what, that's all, you know, you know, that suited us. That was like, wow, you know, so we learned to world. We were, we were I, I, you know, I was really interested in, in the whole thing of whirling and, and feeling, you know, we had so much to experiment with in that ashram. Everything was there. So, you know, um, we, we kind of grew up, Dave and I, without seeing as one particular path to be the one. And so in that way, we were left to our own commitment. Osho could only say to us, look, I've got this, but you have to, you have to do it. You know, I, I'm not, this, you think I'm giving you information, but actually all I'm doing is taking away as much as I can of your conditioning so that you can feel who you really are in your own essence, you know. And that's, that was Osho's way. Put, put, he used to say, if I can get you into chaos, then my job is over. <laughs> he said, because that's, that's where you're going to meet God. That's where you're vulnerable. You're not going to meet him in the scriptures, because scriptures are just going to reinforce whatever you, you know, you... Uh, you think you are, or your, your fears to keep you from who you really are, you know, but once you're in chaos, you're beyond fear. And then, then you can start to see life as it is. And then, you know, then you, you realize it's no good waiting for everything to be put right before I start dancing and singing. I can do it right now. No point in waiting. Don't postpone celebration. Don't postpone it. Why? Because you think one day you, you'll start celebrating and singing when the world is at, at peace. Forget that, man. This place is meant to be a peaceful place, obviously. If it had, if it had been, we would have worked it out by now as humans. We've been on the planet long enough. We're still fighting just like forever. And, uh, and I'm sure people back then in the tribes said, why can't we live peacefully? You know, it's just not what we're here for. We're here to learn uh, conflict and how to rise above conflict. Conflict is just natural for humans, for animals, but for us. It's a natural state. So it's no good waiting to, you know, I know that now because even in the ashram where we were with an enlightened master, we still had the same conflicts, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've I've been in many different um, spiritual groups, ashrams, uh, monasteries, etc. And uh, yeah, the conflicts are there. The ego is there. It's just that 
and, so, and sometimes there's even more because um, spirituality sometimes can attract people who, um, um, what to say, what's the word? Um, they, they have a lot to work through, let's say. <laughs> they all do. They all do. You know, that's, that's why we're so grateful that we're, we're allowed to be ourselves and learn, you know, rather than saying we can't do that, we've got to be spiritually correct. Osho is not as a spiritually incorrect mystic. <laughs> I have really good uh, Kundalini friends, Sikh friends, like Sanatan and Guru Ganesha and Guru Singh and these amazing guys and beautiful woman that she is, you know. But her way is, uh, and that, whole, that whole thing is very much focused on a, a certain way. I mean, you don't step outside that you stay with this you stay with your turban you stay with the the understandings of what you're in you don't go away and and, and guru but uh, yogi Bhajan was very strong on that you know whereas Osho was like you decide you make the commitment i'm you know it's so you know it's so it's a different way in a way of uh of approaching it wasn't that you had to get up at 4 a.m. and do the meditations it was like it's there if you don't do it answer for yourself maybe you know so it was a, for me I like that it was it, it's always been about individual responsibility so I was really keen on that you know, he always contradict himself in his discourses so you couldn't hang on to a teaching Osho said this, so now we know. Because the next day he'd say the opposite of something, you know. So it just throws you back. Well, who is it? Who am I? What is this? You know, and the only escape is to sit and watch your breath and meditate. That's, you know, that's really the only place. And that's, you know, and I say to the musician, look, why people don't meditate? Because it's not easy. You try sitting and not moving a muscle for an hour, closing your eyes, sitting and not moving for an hour and staying awake. And your mind is going, I've got so much to do. What am I doing sitting here doing nothing? You know, that's, that's why people don't do it because it's hard, man. It's a difficult thing to do. Yeah, I, I try to break it down and make it as easy as possible for, for my readers and students. Um, start with five minutes and grow from there. Because otherwise the, the requirements are just too difficult and, and people don't find a way to connect to the practice and, and yeah. to even begin. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, that's the thing. Once you sit for, if you break through that, once you get to five to ten minutes, if you break through all that, after a while you're in the big space, man. You're in the big space. But you have to, it takes a while. You, you can't expect to get it in five minutes. You can get a taste of it. But, uh, you know, once you're there for an hour, you're, what's that Lady Gaga song? You're, far from the shallow now. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great movie. Great movie. That's what happens when you fall in love. Fall in love. Uh, you know, that's what those guys did. They fell into the mess. And uh, it's a beautiful story. But really, the, 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 the challenge for us in relationships is how to rise in love. Not fall. Fall is where the mess is, you know, romance, all that, it's all great. But really what we're here to do is to learn how to raise that energy 
That's what Osho was talking us with. All that sexual energy, all that tantric, all that energy, basic energy that we have in our first chakra, that's there for a reason. You know, that's there to reproduce, to procreate. And, and what happens if we can make that energy rise? You know, so we're rising in love, not falling in love. That's enough all of the ball game. So, so it's a great movie, but and it's a very clear expression of, of of what happens when you fall in love. And it's beautiful, great, great movie. I love that movie. Other than um, other than music, do you have any meditation practice? Like, do you have a time of the day that you just sit and meditate? How does that look like for just, you right uh, now? I just take my guitar. There's a few a few things I like to do, but they're not. I don't sit for an hour like I used to. That that was uh, that was in the trenches. That was hardcore. I needed that, and I still do it. But I do what I do now. Instead of sitting, I and again it was something that Osho taught. It's to lie flat with no no, no pillow, but to lie flat. He said that's a really good way to meditate, and I put the uh, a thing on, on my thing so I know one an hour is up, I'll be told. And it's relaxed awareness, so I don't fall asleep. But I breathe, I just go sink deeper into my breath. And before I know it, it's, oh, this is what it's like when you're dead. There's no mind. There's just this sense of space. You know, I don't step out of that. I just live it like this, hanging out with you. This is how... This for me is meditation, you know. Hmm. I've heard you say that you think um, Devotee might be your last album. Where do you see your work going um, in the next few years? Is there, is there an intention? Is there a question? Is there something driving you? Whatever good I can do in the world is done when I'm playing music for people. That's the best part of me, you know? So... Um, you know, Dave and I don't have a, we don't have like a home base. We don't, we don't have a, a, a somewhere where we go back to after the touring. So that, that, we've never had that. We've never had, we haven't lived anywhere longer than six months in 30 years. What happens with that is that you either feel homeless or you feel at home wherever you are. You know, and what happened for me is I, I just feel at home wherever I am. So what I know is I'm going to die at home. <laughs> That's for sure. You know, hopefully it's in the middle of the Gayatri Mantra one night, you know. So I don't have any plan beyond that, really. I, we have to plan our year a year in ahead. So our manager, if I can travel around the world doing this without paying anything, you know, without it costing me anything, then I'm in. That's it. So we're coming to Sydney. I'm bringing the whole band down this year, by the way, to Sydney. Yeah, we're going. That's for sure. We're going. You have to come backstage, man, and and bring your little girl. I hope you're going to bring her so we can have a hug with each other. Absolutely. And so before I ask um, the final question, how, where can people go to get to know more about your work and get your album? You go to the website, you can, you can get a lot of information and hear a lot of music and things like that, see some movies, stuff like that. So the website address 
I can't remember exactly who we showed it to, but I, I know one of the addresses is just our names, devapramalmiten.com. You see, deva means divine, D-E-V-A in Sanskrit, deva means divine, pramal means loving. And Osho gave her that name when she was a little girl of 11. Divine loving, you know, a little girl. It's so beautiful. And he gave the name Miten, friend, you know, to, to give me that name, to be a friend of, of and, and if you see the Gayatri Mantra, it's a godly experience. So some of I've been always prepared. I've been prepared all my life to be a support for Deva. And, to, and she was being in our own way being prepared and I was being prepared and we met at the right moment in the Guru's ashram, you know. We were brought together, you know, I didn't know, I was hanging out with a 20 year old girl and feeling like, God, she's older than me, she's much more settled in herself than I am. The first time I hugged Deva was like, oh my God, what's this? I never, never felt that of a woman like that, she was just so just so settled in herself, no ego, no wanting to prove anything, or it was just beautiful. And uh, so, you know, if I've got something to look forward to in the future, apart from as Deva's kind of musical mentor, I've kind of got a, a dream that's be, becoming slightly more of a reality, and that is to have her with an orchestra and, and have those mantras performed. That'd be wonderful. Of that, you know, so because you know, the mantras are, of course, as we know, Sanskrit, but we're Westerners, you know, and uh, I like the Western uh, harmonies. And, and with David's voice, we have the key because there's no ego when she chants, there's no ego there at all. So it becomes a pure uh, transmission of the lamp, you know, that's mm, a vessel. Yeah. And uh, I would definitely include the, the links in the description so people listening to this episode can, can check out. Now, my, my final question for you is, do you have any, any message that you'd like to convey to the listeners? Any teaching, any ask? Well, here's something, you know, I, maybe, maybe what would be good if you're listening to this or if you're watching this is put some energy into finding a mantra. Once you had to go to India, you know, and luckily if you might find a guru and you might find if you sat with his, by his side long enough, you might be whispered your mantra, you know, into your ear at some point by the guru. Now you can Google mantras, you know, you, they're, they're, they're easy to find. And, and that's why I, I make a point again about these CDs that, that we made. One's called Mantras for Precarious Times. One's called Mantras for Life. And one's called Tibetan Mantras for Turbulent Times. And all these three, these three CDs contain Deva chanting the mantras 108 cycles. So you have the chance to look and say, oh, you know, this actually... We're in a love relationship. Maybe we should learn this lovemaking mantra. So we, you know, the point of that is it's from the Kama Sutra. The challenge is chant it for 21 nights, every night before you go to sleep. Chant it every night, whatever you're doing, 
the last thing you do is you chant the mantra with Deva. You've got the you've got the CD. You've got the MP3. It's right there. You just put it on. You chant with Deva. It takes ten minutes. Then you go to sleep and make a commitment. Singing the mantras, having them in your car, having them when you've got your earbuds on and you're in the supermarket. Oh, that's great. But if you really want to know, if you really want to help with meditation, make a commitment and say to yourself, okay, I'm going to find this is, I'm going to, you know, the mantras are, is a resonation. Does it, is it the meaning or is it the sound that I like? Whichever, whatever turns you on, go with that. Find out, okay, I'm going to now find this one and see what happens if I chant it 21 nights. Deva's father chanted the mantra for years at 2 a.m. in the morning, walking around walls of Nuremberg every night at 2 a.m. to 4 a.m. Chanted his mantra. He, you know, he was hardcore. He wanted to know. That's, that's a good way. If you really want to know, you have to commit yourself to something, and you might as well commit yourself to, to mantra chanting, you know, because uh, you're on many different levels. You're connecting, you're connecting as, as in your voice, and uh, you're connecting with sacred sound, and you're connecting with silence, and you're making a commitment. That in itself is something that's not easy for us to commit. That's what I noticed with Osho, because he gave us that experience. He didn't say you have to. He said, it's here if you want it. It's your choice. It's your life, not mine. Yeah, absolutely. Wonderful message. Miten, I had such a great time having you on the podcast, and I'm sure that people will enjoy. And I hope that they will have the experience of what it is to be in one of your concerts and allow mantra to resonate deep inside yourself. And I hope some of them will find their path and their mantra. Thank you very much for being here. Nice to meet you, Nice to meet you, brother.